Thank you. Please be seated. Well, as you may know, Kate has set us on this series on the life of Paul. And today's reading finds uh, Paul in Philippi, where Paul meets a fortune-telling slave girl with an evil spirit. He ministers to her so that that evil is taken out of her life. And although it took away her, the, the bad things that were in her, uh, it also took away her psychic ability to tell fortunes. And this was a problem for those who owned her. They were making a lot of money out of her. She was bringing them cash from her fortune telling. And not being able to do that became a financial disaster for her owners. And Paul, with his companion Silas, found themselves in big trouble. The authorities had got involved. And now the crowd rallied behind the slave owners and Paul and Silas were put in prison. The charge was that they were anti-Roman and that they were causing a breach of the peace. And partly because they'd stopped a custom that Romans approved of. Romans were in favour of fortune-telling. And partly perhaps because they seemed to be religious fanatics talking about this new religion in the name of Jesus Christ. They hadn't heard of that in Philippi. It seemed powerful, but there were laws against new religions, against foreign religious propaganda in the Roman Empire. And so without any proper legal process, no investigation, no court hearing, they were stripped naked, they were flogged. You know, the Romans employed what we would call heavies, probably ex-military men. They carried a bundle of rods that they used to inflict severe beatings on criminals, corporal punishment without any mercy. In one of his letters, Paul tells us that happened to him three times. We don't know when the other occasions were, he doesn't tell us, but uh, he endured this corporal punishment three times. Sometimes the heavy carried an axe as well, for capital punishment as well as corporal punishment. Thank God that didn't happen here. So Paul and Silas, having been flogged with this bundle of rods, were then transferred to prison, to the inner cell, the most secure cell in the prison. Uh, And their legs were put in stocks. Now these are not like stocks you get on the village green. These were stocks that forced the legs apart, causing huge discomfort and cramping pain. Uh, They were reserved for the most dangerous and severe criminals. So here's Paul and Silas in prison. Uh, In charge of them was a jailer, probably another ex-military man. His single job was to make sure they didn't escape. He had no responsibility for their physical comfort whatsoever. You know, soldiers went through fine training, they had great strength, but very little kindness, if any kindness at all. And then comes the verse that must have been in Kate's mind as she organised this for us and gave us the title you see on your screen. It's Acts 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I've got a dilemma here, let me tell you. I really would love to know what was in Kate's mind when she gave us that title. 
little while ago, I was preaching in another church and I was given a title, I was given a passage to preach on. Uh, and later, I, I t- um, met the pastor who wasn't there when I preached. And he said to me, did you get from the passage what I wanted you to get from the passage? And the answer was probably, no, I didn't, uh, which I tried to say slightly tactfully. So I'm left thinking, what does Kate want us to get out of this? And supposing I don't get what she wants. I don't know. Let's come back to that later. Long time ago now, a book was written that I think was uh, inspired by this passage called Prison to Praise. Anybody read it? No, yeah, one, one person, right. Um, Merlin Carruthers, he was an army chaplain with a criminal past and an amazing transformation in his life. And his big thing was, like Paul in prison, to praise God in all circumstances. It was great. He had some unbelievable, intense experiences as an army chaplain. And he spoke about the power of praise and praise setting you free. Amazing things happen when you praise God. Some of us wonder whether he just took it a bit too far. Because he began not just to praise God in the bad things, but he began to praise God for the bad things. And began to think that praise was the only thing that unlocked God's power. Well, I don't know whether Kate ever read the book. Probably, but then she's so young, maybe she didn't. And is this what she wanted? I don't know. Let's come back to it. You know how the story goes on, don't you? A sudden earthquake shakes the prison foundations, throws open the doors, loosens the ironwork that attach the stocks and chains to the prison walls. And suddenly Paul and his fellow prisoners were free. The earthquake woke the jailer from his sleep. Immediately he wakes up and he goes to investigate the prison. And his worst fears were realised. The prison doors had come loose and opened And he thought the prisoners would have taken their opportunity and escaped. He was a man brought up on a soldier's duty. He knew that if the prisoners escaped, he would be for the chop. And so there was only one thing to do, take your own life and do it quickly. And as he was poised to thrust his short sword into his heart or his throat, a voice called out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And Paul and Silas must have made such an impression on those other ministers, other prisoners, that he persuaded them not to escape, but to wait and see. And even though Paul and Silas were totally unjustly, unjustly imprisoned, they didn't see this as a miracle that would give them their freedom. And by waiting, they saved the life of this one man, the jailer. Actually, they saved his life in more than one way because he became a Christian, a true believer. He took Paul and Silas into his home. He washed their wounds that came from the beating that they were inflicted on. He fed them. No doubt they were starving by that point. And he found water and arranged a quick baptismal service because he had become a believer. So Paul and Silas must have had an amazing effect on the other prisoners in that jail. They hadn't been there very long, but long enough for people to recognise there was something different about them, something special. And in a moment of crisis, all the other prisoners did what these two strangers told them to do, 
rather than to obey their natural instinct. So here's the text. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. I've got two simple questions to ask. What were they doing and what was the result? What were they doing? Well, first of all, they were praying. And there's nothing more natural than to pray when you're in a crisis. Even people with no faith pray when they're in a crisis. When you're desperate, you try anything. And something in the human heart cries out to God when disaster strikes in one way or another. We've heard people on board an aircraft that was bound to go down do two things. They phone home and they pray. But Paul and Silas weren't just praying to God when they're in trouble. Everybody in the prison had done that. That would not be impressive. They prayed, they talked intimately to a God whom they obviously talked to often. There was a different quality about these men's prayers. They were probably praying out loud. The other prisoners started listening to what was going on in the middle, the most secure cell in the jail. It wasn't the prayer of desperation, it was a prayer of trust, a prayer of hope, crying out to a father in heaven who loved them, who cared for them, who had a purpose for them, speaking to a God with whom all things were possible. And now praying in a name the others had never heard before, praying in the name of Jesus, a name that was new and different and powerful. It was so different from the normal noises that that came from that cell. The normal noises that came from that cell were noises of shouting and cursing and swearing, anger, hatred, revenge, licking their wounds, bemoaning their fate. But here the talk is gentle, it's hopeful, it's loving, it's caring, it's prayer. They prayed to God to comfort them, be with them, support them. They prayed to God to visit them in prison as he'd visited others. They probably prayed for their persecutors, as Jesus did. And they prayed that even in this terrible experience, the end result was that people would come to know and to love God. Now, remember this was sleep time. This wasn't normal time for Jews to be praying. The jailer was in bed asleep. It wasn't the place that you would expect prayer either. If you want to hear prayer, you go to a place of prayer. But for a Christian, prayer is any time, anywhere. No time you cannot pray, no place you cannot pray. And here's the thing that we take away from it. It's not difficult. When you're in trouble, pray. Don't curse, don't shout, don't swear. Just pray and pray for blessing on those who do you harm as did Jesus on the cross. And when people see you as a person of prayer, a person really praying, it may have a profound effect. Oh, I know some people mock and they laugh and they make fun. But when it comes to experiencing real prayer, people can be surprised and taken aback and they will respect you. Just as they respected Paul and Silas so much that they did what they said, They refused the opportunity to be on the run and they saved the jailer's life and his soul. 
Prayer makes an impact on people, sometimes more than lots of fine words. So pray anywhere. Pray over the phone with people. Pray in a supermarket with people. Pray in a corner of the church with people. Pray on the street with people. It wasn't the answer to prayer that impressed people. It was the fact that they were praying. The answer came later, after the prayer had already started to take root in prisoners' lives. And the other thing they were doing, they were singing hymns, which I think is where the title for that Prison to Praise book comes from. The authorised version says they were singing praises. And interesting that 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 takes up so much of our worship, singing hymns, was a part of their worship as well. The Jews had sang in their worship, sung the Psalms especially. And Christians had taken that over into their expression of praise and worship. Even Jesus and his disciples sang after he'd shared bread and wine with them, you remember? It says, after they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. No doubt one of the Psalms set for Passover, singing a cappella without any musical accompaniment. And so in prison, two blokes, two former Jews, sang Christian hymns. And we've got excerpts of some of the early Christian hymns in the New Testament. And they're hymns that extol God's greatness. Hymns that tell about the glory of Jesus. Hymns that tell us about Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross. Hymns that put the focus on God, gave the glory to God, that expressed faith and trust and joy. I don't think those who beat them with rods expected there to be joy in that prison. But there was. A later persecuted man put it like this. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And Paul and Silas sang their socks off until they didn't feel pain anymore. Unembarrassed, unashamed, let their voices go to praise of God. Perhaps it was psalms. Maybe they made up their own songs and hymns as the Spirit led them. Praying in their distress not for their distress, and praying that they are they're so glad they could be counted worthy to suffer, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. In everything, give thanks, Paul had said, and that's exactly what they were doing. And if the other prisoners hadn't heard the praying, they'd have heard the singing. It woke them up. It was so different. It was so unusual. It was uncanny. It was spooky. It was spiritual. The spiritual temperature of that jail was going up and up by the moment. And it had an impression that was hard to put into words. So to my second question, what was the result? Well, I don't believe that the Bible says or means to say that the earthquake was a direct result of the praying and the singing. Prayer and praise are powerful. But the earthquake would have happened anyway. It had been brewing and bubbling under the surface for some time, as is always the case with earthquakes. Prayers and hymns don't usually initiate earthquakes. But the result was more profound than that. The result was that the other prisoners were awestruck, and profoundly moved, 
so that when they were given the chance of escaping to their freedom, which they dreamed of day after day, they refused to take it. They stayed rooted to the spot as Paul commanded them. They did not move an inch. And the Bible is much more concerned about the witness our prayer has on other people than it is to think that when we pray we might get a miraculous escape through a miraculous earthquake to get us out of danger. It was because these people did not escape that the jailer came to believe. It was because they stayed where they were that he came to faith, that he and his household were baptised and this fledgling young church in Philippi gained more members. Look at the members of that church. A former slave girl, a highly educated, effective businesswoman with a lucrative business trading in purple dye and a prisoner jailer and his family. What a hodgepodge that young church was. But then, look at us. You've got, I won't continue. And incidentally, with no reference to what happened at night, the next day the authorities set them free, decided they'd learned their lesson, public anger had died down, and they'd got no appetite to pursue it. Paul, of course, wasn't totally satisfied with that. He was a Roman citizen and was uh, felt that he hadn't been properly dealt with. And so... Uh, the authorities realised they'd been hasty, that he got an apology with the agreement that he would leave town. And maybe that apology gave some protection to the small church that he'd left behind, which Paul visited in the home of Lydia before he left the area, before he went on his way. More travels and more adventures. Incidentally, he left Luke behind. Luke had not been noticed by the authorities And he stayed in Philippi to follow up the work that Paul had started. During the war, the last war, there were stories told of soldiers who were given a couple of days leave, away from the battlefield, time to just go home to see their wives. A fleeting visit and then back to the front line again. But nine months later, that visit bore fruit as a new life was born. It was a bit like that with Paul. Just a couple of days in Philippi, then he left. But what did he leave behind? The seed of a new church. People changed by the gospel. And if you want to see the real result of this singing and praying uh, and praising God in prison, you need to read the book of Philippians. The book that was written to the church that had grown up and matured since its conception in those couple of days Paul spent in Philippi. And that, to me, is the real answer to the question. That's the real result of the power of praise and prayer. It's the growth of the church. It is people coming to faith. It is the kingdom growing. Now, was that in Kate's mind? I have no idea. But it's a challenging thought to leave with us all that the power of praise is that people might come to faith, the church might grow, and the kingdom be increased. Let's pray together.